And uh, welcome once again to Swing Thoughts. I'm uh, Humble Howard of the Humble and Fred Show. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, the mental performance coach at Glen Abbey Academy, and a uh, hell of a guy. Let's just like, let's just say it. Out. Let's say it out loud, people. He's a hell of a guy. Oh, thanks. You know what he's doing? You know what you're doing? You help people. Amazing work that you do. Thank you. Yeah, you do. Thank you. And you entertain people. Yeah, yeah. You add mirth to their lives. I'm a mirth. I'm a a bringer of joy. And uh, this program brought to you by Glenn Karen, part of the Club Link family of golf courses. Uh, We certainly appreciate. What do you want that higher? Me higher. There you go. Yeah, there it is. Feel better now? Yeah. Uh, Glenn Karen, part of the Club Link family of golf courses. Uh, There's never been a better time to join it up. Uh, Join up Glenn Karen or Club Link. I think you join Club Link first, and then you get access to... You do what you want. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm in a mood. Uh, also, are. TaylorMade, Adidas uh, Golf, TaylorMade, makers of the ridiculous M1 and M2 drivers. Uh, number one driver on tour by a, a ton. You know, I don't even know what the stats are, but you know how... That other that golf ball company always goes. This many people are playing oh, the, this golf ball at this go- golf company. Yeah, that t- that company, yeah. the company that doesn't sponsor Swing Thoughts. Yeah, uh, it's got to be at least that many guys that have tailor-made uh, drivers. Like you know, we've been in uh, groups together. I've been in a bunch of groups recently, just thrown together in tournaments where everyone's got an M1 driver. Everybody's got one, and you should too. Whoever's listening that doesn't have an M1 driver, shame on you. It's like your neighbor gets a new car. You start thinking about getting a new car. Yeah, man. Because you have car and now driver envy. But in this particular case, like if your neighbor gets a car, you may not need that car because you have a perfectly good car. But in this analogy, your car sucks and your neighbor's car will get you 30 more off the tee. Which really counts. As That's a, all that matters. As opposed to projecting that you're going to look a certain hotness. With yeah, a exactly. Car. Um, you know, we, let's, we got a lot of stuff to get to today. Tim's got some, uh, it's going to be fun because Timmy's going to uh, recommend some great uh, mental golf books for me. And uh, at my request, I'm going away for a bit. And I thought this would be a good time to maybe read up on some stuff that Timmy, um, you know, likes. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to follow. you're going on vacay. Yeah. And uh, we're going to follow up on last week's, uh, you know, breakdown of my uh, being in golf hell for about three and a half weeks. But first... Uh, welcome back to our program. He is the, uh, well, he's a coach. He's a, uh, a golf instructor, and he is the um, head coach of uh, Golf Canada's women's national amateur team and has been working with uh, golf's uh, hottest, you know, golf superstar of the last couple of months from the LPGA, Brooke Henderson. And Tristan Mullaly is with us. Hey, Tristan. Hey, guys. How are you? We're good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I just got off red ice, so I'm a little tired, but uh, otherwise, really good. Now, for you Swing Thought nerds, we're recording the show on Thursday, July 7th, and this is the first day of the Women's U.S. Open. Absolutely. Yeah, correct. Where, where Brooke Henderson is, it's, everyone expects it to be neck and neck with Lydia Ko, the number one and number two player in the world. It should be really exciting. Yeah, it's an interesting venue too. Uh, it's not typically U.S. Open golf course, uh, just in terms of the way it's set up. It's a little soft. Conditions are a little different, so it's going to be yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who comes through. 
Now, we spoke to you uh, well back in the uh, beginning of our podcast. At that time, Brooke Henderson had just gotten her card. It was a big deal. She won as a 17-year-old. The last couple of months have seen the emergence of her as a golf superstar. Is she indeed uh, number, gone to number two uh, ranking in the world or two in the, on the P- uh, LPGA alone? Uh, two in the world. Yeah. Is she really? Eh? Absolutely. Three wins in the last 11 months. She won her first major at the KPMG a couple weeks ago. She defended at the... Um, in Portland, I mean, defending is always huge, but she's defended, you know, after winning her major. I mean, she's now in that stratosphere. So, Tristan, how has this whole new level that she's that she's reached, how is that affecting her, and how do you think it might work into uh, the U.S. Open? I think, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of added attention. Um, everybody wants to talk about Brooke and, and you know, and talk about what, yeah, I think the word superstar is thrown around a lot, but uh, honestly, uh, I don't think that you know we, we we sprinkle magic dust on it and all of a sudden this just happened. You know, it's been something that's been in the making for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think there there hasn't been a, a just an instant increase in her ability and how well she's played this year. She's just done more of the same, and uh, you know, it's just that progress and that steady progress and then getting a bit more comfortable with the environment and, and playing golf courses that uh, that suit her eye and, and, and those things come together when you're as good as Brooke is and uh, you know the reality is this is still her rookie season and she's playing a lot of places for the first time experiencing a lot of things for the first time so you know she's almost at a disadvantage to a lot of those players uh, because they've been there they're very familiar with the environment they've played those golf courses before and have more notes so um, you know all things considered, she's done pretty well. I want to talk a little bit, if we can. Let's go back to the uh, women's PGA win of, uh, I think it was like a four or five weeks ago, whatever it is. Uh, we had talked a little bit about it on our show, uh, not only on Swing Thoughts, but I talked about it on the uh, big-time, huge comedy radio program that I host, Tristan, that I would invite you to listen to if you like to laugh. Um, but anyways, um, we talked about the fact that I had not purposely made an appointment to watch LPGA golf, except on that Sunday, like a lot of Canadians, I was really interested to see how this kid was going to do in the final round of a major. And i got to be honest with you, it was my favorite final round of golf I've watched all year. It, were you in uh, wherever that was? Were you on the grounds of her uh, final nine holes, or were you at home? No, I was glued to the TV, too. So yeah. when, when you're watching that, I mean, you've known this girl since she was a little kid. She's still a little kid. Uh, were you surprised by like the 75 foot putt, the stuff in the the iron in um, in the playoff? Did that just seem like yeah, that's Brooke? Did you have a feeling she was going to come through? I mean, uh, less less stuff in the iron in. I think that that you know I've seen her do that a ton of times, but uh, I, I'm not sure anybody could predict you know that 100 foot putt and then you know 40 foot around 70. Those things, you know, as much as you want to wheel them into the hole, they don't happen very often. Um, you know, I'm a great believer that things happen for a reason, and if you work hard enough and you do, you know, you do the right thing often enough that eventually things come your way. And uh, you know, I think that that's probably where, you know, the difference is between somebody who, you know, might be a flash in the pan or somebody who just just appears and then doesn't doesn't stay there, doesn't you know, go the distance. I think you know, with Brooke, she's done the right things for a long time. I've been chipping away at it, chipping away at it, and. You know, uh, you know. In terms of Tim, this is something that resonates with a lot of, I would say, beginning golfers when they start to come on on the scene. You don't have the negative thoughts of of having had failures in those instances. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, it's go for it or nothing. And, uh, you know, thankfully she's had more success in those situations than, than not. So you, you get to build on those and you get to use them as, uh, as motivation for the next time. Yeah, what's really interesting to me is that I think we've seen in those three victories, uh, you know, for someone so young, it's really surprising. So when she won in Portland, um, you know, about a year ago, I think it was one by eight shots. So she's got her A game going, you know. And then in the uh, the KPMG in her major, she was just tenacious. She just stayed there. I mean, that's and that's a different level going head to head like that. And then in her in the, her last win, in which she defended, she won with her B game. So it's really interesting to see this complete, you know, what looks like a pretty complete game for an 18 year old. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to think of golf as as a recipe, and and you know, it's not like baking a cake where everything has to be exact. I think it, it's more you want the end result, but how you get there can be very different each time. And not many golfers are open to that. I think a lot, a lot of people, you know, they feel like they have to hit it perfectly, or they have to hit a certain type of shot, or, or else they're not going to have success. And they they probably take away from from the round during the round. Um, whereas you know, I think. Brooke, book has done a great job of being able to go okay well you know i'm not driving it great today but you know i can hit it i can still hit a close in these situations or i can still chip a great or i can still pop great and i think if you're open to that and that is a talent in itself then uh, you know you're gonna get the best score out of the day you know we always want to feel like you've scored better than you played and, and i think far too often golfers have it the other way around right. isn't that a, i was gonna say isn't that a great lesson for all of us that play at the club level and, and some of us that play tournaments that you know, these prof- being a professional golfer is different than being an amateur golfer, not just because you hit it very good. It's that you've learned that golf is a game of many components, that you uh, that you can hit it bad but still have a good short game or hit it poorly off with your tee balls but get it up and down all day. And I think too many of us, Tristan, get focused on, well, I'm not hitting it well, so therefore I won't play well. I know I do. I'm speaking for myself now. Yeah, I think more often than not that's the case. But <laughs> when you're in a situation where certainly when you've got a chance to win, you know, uh, you, you can't sabotage yourself at that point in time you get to do it. And so I think that's where I was impressed with Brooke. It was, you know, she wasn't playing great. You know, she hadn't been hitting the ball great over the weekend. Um, but still had enough faith in the rest of her game that uh, and enough, you know, I think guts, I suppose, is a good word to use to, to, to be able to dig in and hang on and, and do what she did. So. Yeah, it's great because you know you you get more more things to then help with a, an event like this. You know, so going into this event, you know, we, we work hard on some technique just so that she's starting to to hit it a little better. But it's also knowing that you know I've had experience with those three scenarios, and it doesn't matter which one of those I can come out with the win at the end of the week. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I wanted to just take a look at was I found it so fascinating uh important i can't it's cambria i think is the name of it but anyways um so she comes to uh 17th green i think she's got a two-shot lead at that uh, over uribe at that time and so misses the green chips on about a 10-footer and the uh golf channel analyst types well it's kind of a slippery downhiller and she'll just have to cozy oh, yeah, it, yeah, that's cozy, right. cozy it down there <laughs> and then right. she just slam dunks it you know and i could just see uribe all the wind went out of her sails can you just speak to that kind of mental toughness of you know like i say i mean like if she misses it goes 10 feet past but you know what yeah it was really off the green. <laughs> we actually talked about that it was like Ooh, uh, that wasn't supposed to happen uh, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, it wasn't timid for sure. It wasn't a, oh, I better cozy yourself. It was certainly more more about holding it, and then you know the fact that it went in a little, a little speedy and, and actually hit the hole. You know, I think that I would say that shocked her. But uh, you know, it went in, and that, that's the most important part. And, and it was aggressive over you know being timid, which in those situations uh, can get you into trouble. But and I was going to say, Tristan, the takeaway for our amateur players listening is that a professional's intention was to sink that putt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's where it's at. Um, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you know, one of the things, if a lot of guys listening for a 10-footer for their NASA on Saturday or club championship or whatever it is, you know, what we saw there, and maybe she hit it harder than she wanted to, and maybe it was luck that it went in. I mean, that happens too. But the intention behind the stroke, especially I was going to laugh because the Golf Channel guy, whoever it was, was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> they were all surprised that it went in with that velocity. But, yeah. again, if your intention is to put it in the hole, then that's how you hit it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I think even if I think back to when I played, uh, kind of an okay level. I, you know, I, I was never disappointed when I made a bad swing. I was always disappointed when, you know, I, I made a decision or, or wasn't quite in it enough that it didn't really matter how I swung. It wasn't really going to be successful. That's that's when you can kind of beat yourself up. You know, so I think if you can decide and commit on what you want to do, uh, and then regardless of whether it goes in or not, at least you gave it your best. You know, there's almost a, well, I tried. I did my best and I did the right things. But if you, uh, if you have any doubt or you're not sure and you go ahead and do it anyway and then you mess up, that's harder, the bitter pill. That's the one that, that that's hard to swallow. One of the interesting things uh, to me is that you mentioned commitment, and maybe speak to a little bit about how when she you go through her pre shot when she goes through her pre shot routine. What's the? Could you describe how she commits to a shot and how maybe what kind of level of shall we say almost courage that once she made once she commits to that shot that she just goes with it. Yeah, different people have different ways of, of kind of tuning in. You know, but Brooke, like anybody, gets nervous. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm sure if, if you watch the telecast and you watch those last hold, you know, you see that she's actively breathing and she's really taking a little bit more time and, and kind of getting herself uh, collected before she hits those shots. And, you know, uh, the pre-shot routine, especially when, you, when you've done it for a while, can get very... I'm going through the motions. It's you know I'm picking the wind, picking the lie, picking my club, picking the number, all those things. And Routine. you know, uh, in in a pressure situation, you can just go through those motions and not actually be engaged and not actually be into am I am I choosing these or doing these things as I normally would. And I think you know as part of her routine, there's always been a a little check in at the end to go, okay, am I present? Am I where I need to be? And then am I going to go? And you know, for her, that's using breathing. And for other players, sometimes. When they get in situations where uh, they're in pressure, you know they can they can get to a point where they're not up enough, and you know different people react in different ways. So it's just to to know one way you play your best, and then to have some sort of strategy within your routine uh, to try and check in and see where you are relative to that, because you maybe have to make an adjustment. Then that that part of the the routine is often missed with amateur golfers. It's just the the kind of the checklist of going through and then hit. Um, whereas professionals really are better at adding all the element to going, okay, I've made my decision, but am I where I need to be? Am I here? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because, uh, again, everyone listening at any level, we've all done it where we kind of, as Tim just mentioned at the end of his question, about we, we get into this routine of our pre-shot whatever and don't really i mean i i know uh, a lot of us have hit shots where you're over the ball and you're not, you almost know you you're not really present you're not you, you haven't really 
um, figure it out where the ball is going, but you just go ahead and hit it anyway. As opposed to what Tim would recommend and anybody <clears throat> would recommend to just stop. For some reason, we feel like, wow, well, I don't want to step away from the ball. Whereas a professional will. You'll see that uh, because they know that unless they are engaged in that moment, there's no point in hitting it. Yeah, pros get nervous just as much, and pros get affected by adrenaline just as much. You know, when you when you get into those situations, your body does change. But you got to remember, it's for for good reason. You know, it's it's definitely going back to uh, you know evolution in terms of what that was actually for. It's not to hit golf balls, but you know, the end result is your ability to hit a little further, your ability to really sharp and focused. You know, if you use it correctly, and you know, uh, Brooke is one that just needs to get her breathing correct and, and just feel like she's right there so that she can see it because she's a feel and see player. You know, others, uh, you know, who one of the strategies we use is, especially when they get pumped up, one girl in particular, you know, she gets pumped up, she hit her yardages on a Sunday are probably 10 yards further almost than when yeah. she's playing in a, in a practice round. And, you know, one of the things in her pre-shot routine we do is we have her swing the club head uh, with one hand and actually see, can she feel the weight of it? And, you know, if you can feel the weight of it and you're there, well, you're present and you're in, and that, that's her go-to trigger. Um so you got to find what works for you in terms of you know you checking in, but there there should be some element there because when the nerves kick in and you want to go, um, you know you got to be able to make sure that you're in the spot where it is helping and it isn't taken away. Listen, Tristan, thanks uh, for this this morning. Um, great success with Brooke and all of, all the best. I hope the next time we talk to you, we'll be saying, uh, Coach of the you know Women's U.S. Open winner Brooke Henderson, and uh, always a pleasure having you on the show. No, thanks, guys. Yeah, good to talk to you. Yeah, I really appreciate it, thanks. my friend. Swing Thoughts brought to you by Tragically Hip. Yeah. Courage. Guys in that band love to play golf. Yeah, I played uh, with a couple of them, actually. Um, I always forget who, though. Like, I played with one of the guys, the bass player. I think they have two guys named Johnny. I played with the bass player, Johnny. That's confusing. Yeah. I played with him a couple times at the National. And then the long-haired guitar player, also named Johnny, I think. Anyway. Uh, hey there, Tim. What do you got there? You got some stuff written down? I do. You keep pointing to your, your doctor's pad. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's some very, very cool stuff. Yes. That I... That I think we could draw out and elaborate on a little bit from elaborate from, away. Yes, yes. Um, a couple of key things, and one of the things that he talked about, and and we were alluding to it, is that very often in the the pre-shot routine that people go through is gets routine, mm -hmm. so they don't think about it. It's almost like brushing their teeth; they go through everything, and they're not even really present. Whereas the real, when you become really honed in on your game and aware you are going through your routine very mindfully and you're taking care of business. And so uh, a player, it's really surprising to me, and uh, maybe it shouldn't be that, that, you know, Brooke is a phenom, that as she's getting down to the crunch, when she's checking in, she's really making sure that she's really present. She's really checking in to what's, what's going on. And perhaps that could be just to what, um, what's going on in her body. She's carrying some tension in her hands and her arms. Um, how much adrenaline is flowing through her. When you really check in with yourself, then you can, then you can respond appropriately. So that was really cool because well, I was working with a student, um, yesterday he's heading to the, to the British junior amateur 
today. Nice. And, and this is exactly what we talked about. Because when he gets overshot, sometimes he can kind of be impatient and you want to try and force it. So what we worked upon was him doing a body scan, but not just going through it routinely, kind of like head to toe, okay, I'm good to go. But he really checks in and goes, hey, what's going on for me? And it only takes a second or two and he can respond. I don't think uh, enough golfers, uh, ourselves included, do that even in the, the, the routine rounds that we play. You know, we get into a routine of playing golf it's 165 a little bit of wind but it's my seven iron yeah whereas opposed to you know and again as you said it doesn't take forever but you know it's opposed to going okay where do i want to hit this what kind of what am i trying to do uh asking good questions carl morris talks yep. about that you talk about it because those questions and those scan uh it helps bring you to the moment that's happening right now and it takes you out of what's happened how many over am i man i got a few holes to go uh whatever I think it's an important piece today that if people can kind of give themselves a little quick checklist. Yeah, you know, you pick the club and all that stuff. You Where am I going to? But a real, a real moment of clarity, uh, I think it'll make it a, a better experience because we all do. We all go through the motions, just go up. I'm going to hit it out there somewhere. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, as you say, uh, pick, you know, scope it out. There's what it is. Oh, it's 165. I'll just make an aggressive seven iron swing. But it really is when you're playing golf, and, and this word is so overworked, almost like pre-shot routine, you hear it all the time, but being present. Yeah. And I loved what he talked about. He alluded to a player that one of the things that they do is they... The get, club head thing. Yeah. That's have, a good one. Being pre Can you feel that club head like, you know, all the way through the swing? That is just huge in terms of making sure you're connected to what's going on in your body, but you can feel the club head. And that's... That is really big, and that actually, we're going to get into that hugely. Uh, for our next show, we'll take a break for next week, but we're going to have Fred Shoemaker in, and Fred is all about awareness. Where the club head is. And presence, and oh, absolutely. And I, that is something that I just swear on, is if you can feel that club head, yeah. you can stay connected and you stay present. What and Tristan said, though, is uh, pretty cool. I mean, because you talk about feeling the club hit with both hands on the club all the way through the swing, but it, it's interesting what he's saying. If you can just take one hand off and sort of swing it gently where you can, do you feel the end of it? Because we all feel the part we're holding. The holding part we all get. Right. But how, it's it's the, um, when you take one hand off, do you feel the weight of the club head? Again, it takes a nanosecond, but I guarantee you under pressure, and this is something I do know, yeah. you, most of us can't feel it. Right. Uh, we're so disconnected from where it is, it's hard to make a good strike. So, um, you know, another thing I've uh, happened to me pretty recently that I, I think is an interesting thing just for you swing thoughters is I've had a couple times recently where I had the wrong club in my hand. I had too much club. And, and, and because I knew it was too much club, I had to make an adjustment. I had to be, instead of my stock pitching wedge, 120, whatever, it was like, oh, I got a pitching wedge. I didn't want to go back to the cart. <laughs> yes. I got a pitching wedge. It's like 116, and I stuffed it because I had to become more aware of – I choked down a certain amount. I, I practiced the swing that would be produce the less yardage. It's not so dramatic because it wasn't like I had to hit yeah, it 80 yeah, yards. Yeah. But because I, was, because I was instantly engaged in, oh, I got the wrong club. Okay, how do I make this club go 116? And I thought to myself, you know, why don't I do that more often? Not take the wrong club. Why aren't, why aren't I doing that with every shot? It's 167. What do, I need, what, what do I need to feel to produce that? 
Absolutely. So you commit to the shot. You're creating a shot. You're fully, yes. fully engaged. Everything you got going, your subconscious, all of that is drilled in and committed to that shot. You've seen it in your mind's eye. You felt it. You let it go. You're fully engaged and present to the shot. Yeah, it's, it's, a, like good, that, uh, it's a good bit of learning for you swing thoughters today. It connects back to uh, that round you played a few weeks ago with three clubs. Yeah. You're manufacturing shots. You're committed to the shot. You see it. You feel it. What? That's why, you know, we talked about, and and maybe this is an opportunity to get back into into your extrication from golf hell. But yeah, I, 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 oh, yeah, you don't want to go. No, there no, right I do. Now, I'm fine. But, but the, I'm trying to open up my insides again for you <laughs> podcast people <laughs> to look inside the, yeah. the horridness. No, but playing. When you're committed to a shot, you're hitting golf shots. Yes. You're not playing golf swing where you're trying to figure out, you know, A plus B and, you know, where does my right elbow go and how do I... Oh, for sure. All of that stuff. When you commit to a shot, you just... I find that as a coach and as a player, I can hit shots. They're not perfect, but they're generally going to be way more solid and on the mark... Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads All right, uh, Dr. Crane, are you listening? I'm here. Well, you basically just uh, ripped me off, you know. You just ripped me off my from my article I wrote on our Swing Thoughts uh, uh, oh, Facebook page. Oh, so, you know, I usurped your role as the context provider, the no, no, traffic fine. cop just tease on, me. On, on Swing Thoughts? No, no, you're good. Um, because, um, I, you know, after last week's show, <clears throat> here's what happened. So Tim and I talked to Zokel, Zok, our new buddy Zok, Zokinator. Who, um, so Tim and I talked to Richard Zokel uh, last episode about uh, me kind of really being in in the worst golf funk I had been in since I came back to golf, and um, and uh, then Tim and I, uh, full disclosure, we uh, sat outside uh, the uh, studio here and we talked a little bit about uh, what was going on with me, maybe why I was feeling this way, why I couldn't seem to. You know, get out of my own way, not only with the golf course, but I had a lot of stuff going on. You know, I'm moving. I have a lot of stuff in my life. And so after talking to Tim, I went home. That was a Thursday. The next day I had a practice round for a tournament. And then on the Saturday I played in my Saturday morning group. There's 30 or 40 guys. We put up a bunch of money. And um, I had a, a club match as well. So there was a bunch of stuff going on at the same time. And through no other, I hadn't, I, I don't even think, uh, you know, I, like I didn't change my swing, but as I said, if you go to our Swing Thoughts Facebook page, I sort of wrote about it, and I explained it better than I'm doing it now, but one of the things I said was, for 18 holes, I was hitting shots. I played golf shot, not golf swing, and in fact, didn't hit it great. Like, the weird thing about the story was, um, I didn't hit the ball very well at times. I had a lot of shots in that round that were... Like, if you'd seen a couple of the shots I hit, they were heinous. <laughs> like, like Jason Day when he won with the chunkers? Yeah. And well, the three of them. I, I had one shot, like a three iron. It was a really windy day. And like a three iron that never got more than a couple feet off the ground. A near topper? It was like a, it was like a swipe topped thing. Like a worm molester? Yeah. Like, it was a weird shot. Like, in the middle of this round... I just remembered it now. I'm like, but because I was in such a detached, indifferent stage. Lighter? 
That was later. Um, Tim also put up a great video, by the way. If you go to our Facebook page, full, and, and now we've made a commitment to fill it with some content. And Tim's done a great job this week. Thanks, man. There's a great thing with Tim, uh, part of this, the Club Link Academy, talking about this uh, idea that Mo Norman uh, put forward, which is... Playing with an alert right. attitude of indifference. Wow, there's a lot of stuff packed in that little phrase. Go and watch Timmy's video. It's really good. It explains everything in a minute. So on a day where I had a little bit of a kind of extracted myself from golf hell, two days after our podcast last week, I had a round of golf where I had more birdies in one round than I've ever had in my life. How many? I had seven birdies. Wow. Thank you very much. But uh, in, in, in a round of golf where it was very windy, I only hit nine greens in regulation. So there was nine greens I missed. There was a three iron that I topped. And there was a bunch of shots that were tough. And I didn't get it up and down all the time. But of the nine greens I hit in regulation, I birdied uh, six of them. And I chipped in once. That's just so cool. Uh, it was weird. In fact, it was so weird that I got, I got to the last couple holes and I got uh, nervous, which yeah. is a whole other thing. Yeah. But... The biggest piece I would say is that um, it wasn't easy and it wasn't my best ball striking by a long shot, but I just made a commitment after Thursday to go, I'm going to lighten up a little bit because it's like, seriously, Howard, like lighten the half, you know, half up. And I was going to make a commitment to just be kinder to myself, to make a bad shot and go, it's okay, pal. We're going to get up and down or you're not, so, but it's fine. Absolutely. And um, just through that, and really not much else. Uh, I would hit a bad shot and I would try and get it up and down and or I would chip it in or I wouldn't. But I just seemed to get into this f sort of mindset. And I was a, there was it wasn't a casual round of golf. There was a bunch of stuff going There's on. There's stuff on the line here, yeah. You know, I beat this, the guy that I beat in my match shot 76. He played a really nice round of golf on the, a very windy day. And, um, you he know, shot I, 72. I shot 72 and beat him four and three. But um, that's some golf. But the weird thing about it was, and I want you to read it if you get a chance, is that uh, it proved to myself that my B-plus golf swing, but an A-plus mental outlet or outlook is, is the key. Because I can't guarantee how I'm going to hit it every day. So that is just a wonderful way to connect to what Tristan was talking about. And like a key phrase, which I underlined here on my little scratch pad, she scored. She talked about, and he talked about how it in Portland, Cambria. I, why do I not? Ha, why do I have this blind spot around the name? You of could just say Portland, and no Thank, one would. There we go. She scored better than than she played. Right. Man, oh man. I mean, that's just that says so much about just not not giving up, and this whole drive for a consistent swing and hitting it perfect is so misguided in my judgment it's just you just play but why don't we know that why i've been doing this my whole life why, why don't i know that how do i not know that what is why is my ego and i say my because a lot of golfers listening can relate to this why is our egos such a a barrier to getting that <clears throat> why don't i know that i think it's a bunch of things one thing i think it's we are our own worst enemies in terms that we are our harshest critics mm -hmm. And I don't know what that connects to. Uh, maybe we could get a psychiatrist on here. But we are, I know I am. I'll do things and I'll, I'll write an article and I'll post it and think, oh, man, I should have, that second paragraph was kind of weak, didn't 
fill this in and I'll get a note from someone that was wonderful mm-hmm. and like what you know it's just really crazy, no I know I crazy how that happens but it's also golf culture we seem no we do have this in our minds that the best players just hit it dead solid perfect every time and some of that comes from you know watching a scratch player on the range of boom you know they just hit it just with just this lovely rhythm same window trajectory all the time nice soft draw or something like that or worse at a range at a, at a PGA Tour event it's a stripe show and so thus we have this standard that is set that we seem to think that we have to meet if I may do you think that part of that standard and I agree with what you're saying that our, our golf culture breeds that but do you also think that part of our ego based golf culture is also our expectation of our best shots yes like we think and golf's unique in this way because we've all hit shots that are tour quality. And so we think for some reason we're imprinted with the idea that golf, good golf can only be played. And I'm speaking for Howard Glassman, for sure I am. My perception has always been that good golf can always only be played if Howard's hitting it great. Yeah, absolutely. And that thing, the reason I wrote this for our Facebook page and I sent it to you and a few other people is I wanted to imprint the idea that there's a perfect example. I didn't hit it very well all the time. Yes, I hit a couple that were close. I birdied four of the five par threes I played that day. So I hit it tight a couple times. But in, in the same round, I dribbled a three iron 180 yards. Yeah. But for some reason on that day, I was like, okay with it. Because there have been a lot of days recently where I would have hit that three iron, gotten so mad at myself, and spent the entire uh, walk to the next shot trying to figure out how to hit better three irons. And that would have thrown you off completely. Whereas a professional walks to the next shot and goes, okay, what's my shot here? Absolutely. It's always play the shot by shot, which again, we've talked about some things that sound like cliche, routine, be present shot by shot. But it really is. I mean, those are fundamentals. And, and you want to get better at this game? Learn the fundamentals. Routine, be present, those, those types of things. So to get back to why do we do that? Uh, why do we have this thing that we think we need to, to score our best? We need to be hitting a dead solid perfect. It's just, it's ridiculous. Maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Why do we do it? Well, we know. We, well, who, they, why is often yeah. the wrong place to go. Maybe the question is, we all know we do it. Right. How do we stop doing it? And I think we've hit on some great things today to get you into a, a mindset of, you know, you don't golf. You know, Rotella, the, the, the article, I, the little thing I wrote, whatever, I entitled Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. I read that book 25 years ago, but I really understood it, like really got it, I think, for the first time last week. Yeah, no one hits a perfect ever. I mean, we're different every day. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. Ben Hogan thought he hit maybe four perfect shots or, or, or ideal shots for him every round. This is freaking Ben Hogan. You know, so get over it, me. Get yeah. over it, you. Get over it, people. And and what really good players can do is that they, they can just make, you know, that silk purse out of a sow's ear in terms of <laughs> whatever, really whatever shows up. It's funny that Ben Hogan mythology, because I've heard Hogan said he hit seven shots around, and so you say four. Some people have said ten. I'll I'm tell you, conservative I'm going to tell you something. Here's a here's another way of looking at it, because I've heard that, that the Hogan uh, way, let's just turn it a, a different way. Um, you will. You should expect at the beginning of every round to hit ten or fifteen shots that are awful. Right. So, because I, I and again, you may hit a couple great ones, and Hogan expected to hit four to seven perfect shots. So the the bulk of the shots you hit are versions of good, gusting to horrible. 
the thing about me and the, the revelation and epiphany or whatever I've had is, oh, oh then I shouldn't, be ner- I shouldn't be surprised when I hit it offline because 10 to 15 times around, I'm going to. Absolutely. I have just been so immersed in trying to figure out why I did and being bummed out that I did that I go to the next shot and go, oh, yeah, whatever. The rabbit hole. The compulsiveness so, that Zoke talked about. So we're going to, well, I'll just leave it there. I, I was a pre, it was a pretty cool day. And not everything has been, you know, super rosy. I, I didn't, I, I, I had a senior, I had, a, I had probably, of the things I was looking at in January uh, that I wanted to do well in, I probably had the biggest one of the year, <clears throat> excuse me, and I failed at it. But you know what? I failed with a, a lightness um, that sort of like, you know, at the end of the round, I, shot, I, I tried to qualify for our provincial senior amateur, and I missed it by three. But in that round of golf, there wasn't one time that I felt heavy or upset, and it just wasn't my day. And, and at the end of the day, I looked back, and I made a couple very immature decisions. I did. Like it was, As in club selection? and Wrong, wrong shot, wrong time, triple bogey. Yeah. Um, and I learn, I'm going to learn from it because... It, it, again, even after shooting 72, hitting it, you know, sideways at times, I get there on the qualifier and I hit it decently. I just made some poor decisions based on not so much ego, but just bad tournament decisions. Um, but I'm okay with it. Uh, but I, I left there feeling pretty good about life and thinking it's just another round of golf. Like, seriously, Howard. Yeah, so I, I want to try something here. So, so on <clears throat> Hubble and Fred, you're the doctor, right? So on Swing Thoughts, I guess I can be the, the therapist. So let's try for a reframe here. You mentioned that you failed at what you wanted to do. So could we look at that in another light and maybe say instead of what you failed, what did you learn, Howard? What did you take from this in your life that you can go forward and be mirthful? You're just, you know, it's lucky. You're lucky I like you. <laughs> Come over there. Um, I just told you what I learned from. I learned that, you know, even even though... You know, I, I felt good, and I had a nice time of, at the golf, and I uh, hit some really good shots. In this I, qualifier. In this, uh, in this qualifier, yeah. Right. I just did a, you know, I just... But you said you failed at it. Well, I did. I, well, I, did I, I failed to qualify for the senior amp. Okay, that's data. Yeah, right, uh, that's but I data. did learn that... Um, I, w- I actually, it's funny, it's a lesson I, r- I learned years ago, and as I was saying to my other buddy, I said, you know, you'd think that someone that's played in as many of these tournaments as me would realize you don't have to shoot 73 or 4 to get in. In fact, 82 got in. Right, wow. So um, I didn't shoot 82. On three holes, I had 210 yards to the green on a par 5. On three of the holes that I had 210 to the green, I made 8, 7, and 7. If I had just not gone for the green on three holes and hit lob wedge, lob wedge on these three par fives, I would have shot 77 and, you know, I'd be playing in this tournament. What made me not try to hit lob wedge, lob wedge is uh, part of the thing I need to, to learn. Is could, that, it be, could be quick. I know we're trying to No, no, no. We got other, we got today, other but, stuff. But um, could it be that I'm an idiot? No, no, no. Don't go there. Yeah, I'm just trying to be... Uh, Funny, I know it's Whatever. a bit. It's a bit. I've learned that phrase from you. Yeah. Um, that could it be that when you were making your assessment, yes, of the shot, that yes. you weren't fully present. I wasn't. And I was thinking about. I was thinking about what I need in this tournament. Right. So you were in the future. Uh, you know, I, I will say this: the biggest learning, what I took away from that, is a renewed commitment to the phrase. I'm going to put this somewhere. 
what's the best I can do on this hole at this time? Regardless and irrespective of what I made on the hole before and what I think I need to make going forward in this round of golf. Because that, I think, is the holy grail for someone like me. Mm -hmm. What's the best you can do in this moment? Right. And if the best is I got to chip out and maybe make seven better than eight. If I had just made bogeys on those three par fives that I made double, double, triple on, I'm in by, I'm in by a ton. Absolutely. If I had just made bogeys, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, listen, I'm a pretty good golfer. Oh yeah. I could make bogeys on those holes with my six iron. No no other clubs. Yeah. I could go six iron, six iron, chip, putt, bogey. Mm -hmm. Easy. That's what I learned that, that what you're doing. And it's funny that Tristan brought it up and you're trying to make the point that what you're doing in this moment is all that matters. Right. And so it's making, so as you're going through it, making the assessment, getting there and like doing a check-in where, where am I at? Just where am I at right now? Am I trying to force it? Am I still carrying some angst from the three pot or am I thinking, Oh my, to make the, to make the cut, I gotta be here. And just to let that go and then just to do a, a, a check-in and just be really neutral. And that way you can, you can not only execute in a relaxed and fluid way as a good athlete, but you can also think clearly and make a, a proper assessment. Uh, and so you can take in what's the danger, where do I not want to miss, and what's really the high percentage shot. I mean, can I, Coach Tim, can I ask Tim? You may. Um, you may. What's your last name again? O'Connor. O'Connor. It's a Russian, Can I ask Tim O'Connor a, a golf question? Yes. Okay. You And you've done this. We've all done this. Tell me you haven't made a decision on a shot, on a hole, after you've just done something on the hole before, and you're making your decision based on just three putting, because you, what you just said, three putting the last hole, uh, you're in the middle of a great round, you're in the middle of a bad round, but you've made a decision based on a past, and that past could have been three minutes ago. Yep. Based on a past event or a future aspiration. We've all done it. Guilty is charged. Absolutely, I have. It's, it's, it takes, and there's times I've done it and there's times I've been like, okay, don't go there. Just chill out. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> breathe. Oh, you make me laugh. Let it go. No. Why, why do I no, make you laugh? Because... Because you're exact. That's exactly what I did. I went to. I did a. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. I had a practice <laughs> round because I'm. I'm excited about how. What if effing idiot I can be? And when I say I can be every golfer. I went and had a practice round on the ninth hole of this golf course. It doesn't matter what it is. Royal Woodbine. It's a small golf course. It's very tight. I had written in the yardage book that in the notes. I wrote in the book that I made notes of the words no go. It was yeah. in my back pocket. I got 210 to the green. I hit a really good drive in the ninth hole. 210 to the green. I went for it. And then I look in the yardage book. It says, no, no go. go. <laughs> so I must have something wrong with me that my ego is so out of control. I think I'm so something that I wouldn't even listen to myself. Yeah, but we, we were talking. So before the show, we were talking about whether it's golf, whether you're a VP of sales, whatever. All this stuff, it's what's going on on the underneath. So here's where I'm going to connect to. Um, there's a really good family therapist uh, named... Are you recommending to me? Perfect. I, yeah, I no, need more therapists in my life. No, Please continue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, his name is Bradshaw. It, he was very famous in the 80s. He did a series on PBS. Not who you mean. And uh, one of the things he talked about was you get in a situation with your kids or something, 
and your kids, you've, you've crossed the line. And you know you shouldn't say what you're going to say. Yep. But you say it anyways. John Bradshaw. John Bradshaw. Thank you very much. It's the same in golf. It's the same in so many things. These things happen to us. Yep. And we just, and it's, it's like getting caught in the tsunami or caught in the flow and just go. And that's when bad stuff happens. I wrote to myself, I wrote a note to myself on the ninth hole of this golf course. Don't, it basically said, don't go for this green. If you've played the golf course, you can't see the green. It's around a corner. And on the left side is a hazard. On the right side is out of bounds. And here's why, and then this is the last thing I'm going to say about this, because I want to move on to uh, Tim's uh, giving me some recommendations, and I want to share that with everyone. And uh, we're going to do longer than I said we were going to do. So, <laughs> surprise, surprise. On the ninth hole where I had written to Howard, past Howard wrote to future Howard, <laughs> don't go for the green. <laughs> and so I'm standing there. Why didn't I look in the yardage book? And then, and then forget the yardage book. Why didn't I just think, okay, I'm 210 from the green. I should just hit... Uh, Sand wedge, lob wedge. And here's why. Because after the start I had, bogey, bogey, double bogey, the first three holes of this qualifier, I now went the next four holes and made pars. So I'm, you know, now I'm whatever I am. And I, in the, I, I killed it. I hit a three-wood off the eighth hole, and I just, I'm one of the best I've ever hit. I had to move the 150-yard marker <laughs> to hit, I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. I had to move the peg to hit my shot. And I missed the green. It didn't get it up and down and made a bogey. So all of a sudden, Plunged. I walked to the ninth, I walked to the ninth hole, didn't think it affected me, rip a driver, and I get to the get to the second shot thinking, okay, well, now I'm five over par because I just bogeyed that hole before. Maybe I should make a birdie here. And that was what I was thinking based on something that had happened in the past five minutes ago that I needed to do something in the, in, to, to get my future score down. Right. And I know myself, had I made, had I made par in the eighth hole, I wouldn't have gone, gone for it on the ninth hole. But I... I just don't have enough maturity yet, even though I'm nearly 80 years old. I don't have enough golf maturity to look at my yardage book. I didn't even look at it till after I'd hit the shot. I didn't have the I didn't have the presence of mind. I didn't check in with myself to go, don't go for this green. Because I would have made par. I would have shot five over on the front and I would have shot three or four over on the back at worst. Right. But I went for it and made triple. So that's what I'm taking away. I'm not beating myself up about it. I'm going to commit to myself that you've got to stop making decisions on something that's happened in the past. And whether that's, you know, whether it's a, a round from years ago or whether it's something you just did. It's based on emotion. It's based on emotion. And that's the biggest learning I have for you people. Okay. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to go get my get books. Get your books. I will. Um, so we're going to, uh, <clears throat> so a couple of weeks on the uh, 21st of July, we'll do a little uh, housekeeping here. We're going to have uh, Fred Shoemaker, probably uh, one of the, uh, you know, great, you know, spiritual, esoteric, <clears throat> excuse me, golf guys that uh, Tim and I know. Tim's met him. I've been, you know, read his stuff years ago. So I'm looking forward to talking to Mr. Shoemaker. Uh, also, Paul Doolin coming up in the next little while. Uh, and uh, Doolin's a beauty. He is uh, down in uh, Florida. He works with DA Points. Kyle Stanley. He's Canadian, eh? Canadian guy. Uh, works with a bunch of uh, college players. And at the end of the show, I'll tell you about one of the players that uh, Paul works with, oh, I found out. Yeah. Uh, cool. And uh, a guy that I got to play with uh, yesterday. So tell me about the books, why you recommend them for uh, myself and other uh, people listening. Okay. Well, the 
first book on our little book nook. How's that? You like that? Yeah, that's all right. The first book is uh, called Four, The Best of Wodehouse on Golf. So P.J. Wodehouse was a, uh, he was a, a Brit born in the, I think, 1890s. And he was one of the, f- the funniest fiction writers. But he also wrote a lot of screen, pl- uh, not screenplays, but uh, he was a playwright. But so when he wrote about golf, it was absolutely amazing. And um, so the reason, so it's, it's fiction and it's just funny as hell. And most of his stuff's based in the, the 1920s. So you were, you know, as you say, you were in golf hell there, taking the game really seriously. So I wanted to just give you this book for your little trip to, to Iceland because it's just a brilliant book. And I just wanted to uh, bring uh, attention to the... Um, First of all, thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> Secondly, uh, I can see that the way you uh, take care of books, I, frank- I frankly find it scary. Because uh, it looks so... Yeah, it looks pristine. Well, are you giving me this book or are you lending me this book? Um, but just, I'll lend it for now. Say, and be honest. Just say what you want to say. You don't hesitate. You're, you're, you're not giving it to me. You're lending it to me. Yeah. Anyways, the heart of a goof I w- uh, story has to be... In the same way most golfers need to have watched um, Caddyshack and Tin Cup, um, you need to read this story, The Heart of a Goof, Um it's just a, it's just brilliant stuff. Great writing, fun, and uh, okay. It's just well, I'm worried because on. this book looks very, it looks pristine, and um, oh, don't worry about it. No, I will, I'm, because now I have to be all but like nervous about, uh, you know, mucking it up somehow. Because this is how long have you had this book? Uh, fifteen years. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I wish I could show you people. Honestly, it looks like you just bought it yesterday. But this guy, so PJ Woodhouse is—he's got some amazing characters. You just gotta love the names here: Rodney Spelvin, then there's Chester Meredith, and Rollo Podmarsh. Hmm. You gotta know a guy's name like that are gonna be real characters and funny as hell. Okay. So that one is. That so that's to get me out of my golf uh, funk and remember that golf is a fun game and we're all supposed to have fun doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me that sometimes. Um, and I appreciate this, and I'm going to try and take care of it the best I can. Okay. All right. Four, the best of Wodehouse on golf. All right. So, book number Pristine book number two. Yeah, absolutely. Zen in the Art of Archery by Eugen Harrigal. And I may, I may be pronouncing it incorrectly, but this is a... Um, this is a foundation book, I would say. So, you know, we've we've talked on this show very often about um, Timothy Galway's book, um, mm-hmm. The Inner Game of Tennis. And I know some people who might be hearing this for the first time, they, well, okay, it's a golf show, and they're talking about tennis. That's kind of weird. But it really is, Timothy Galway's book is one of the um, foundation books, I would say, in terms of this whole thing we've been talking about being present, getting out of your own way, that's a key book. So what's interesting about this book, Zen in the Art of Archery, is that that was the one of the foundation books for Timothy Galway's. And this is beautiful. And it's absolutely uh, a brilliant book. It's it's relatively short. I would say maybe eighty pages or so. 
Um, but it's a, a lovely narrative. Well, I'm just reading the description here. This is the account of the six years he spent as a student um, and how he gradually overcame his initial inhibitions and began to feel his way toward new truths and ways of seeing. And uh, I, will, uh, I will look forward to reading this very much. Yeah, it's, it's This will also cool. not look this way when I give it back to you. <laughs> just know that. Yeah, so uh, Herigold, and I'm, I'm sorry, if people, if I'm... Master. Do you think anyone knows how to pronounce his? I don't apologize. Well, people, no one. You could have said his name is Eugene Harry Balls, and no one would. <laughs> well, he's a, <laughs> he's a German. Well, I love that book by Eugene Harry Balls. Exactly. Yeah. No, he's a German professor of philosophy. Perfect in for me. Tokyo. And so what he does is he goes and he meets a a grandmaster in Japan. So to 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 bring it to something that maybe more of us could relate to. It's not that dissimilar than Karate Kid. When Daniel, when be, he gets befriended by, by Mr. Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi, yeah. Mr. Miyagi, and he gets him to you know, wax on, wax mm-hmm. off, and cleans his car and do all that stuff. It's not dissimilar in terms of that whole sort of uh, do your work and you'll get the dividends of, of putting in that work so that just because. So at the end of this book, the guy teaches him the crane. And he kicks the crap the crane out move? of the kid at the Jap- at, at, at the bully <laughs> at the right. university he was working at Japan. Oh, that is fun. I don't know when's the last time you saw that movie, but it's like uh, I remember thinking, oh yeah, he does the crane move, and uh, Mr. Mugiagi, Pat Morita, yeah, yeah. says something like, uh, "If do correctly, no can defend." But then you see. Well, first of all, I, I disagree. I think it's very defensible because... <laughs> yeah, just kick the guy's yeah. knees out. Well, first of all, the, you do the crane thing, you, you, you know the crane's coming. <laughs> it's not like you're, the crane doesn't come out of nowhere. The guy goes into the crane thing, you're like, oh, the crane's coming. So the one way to defend it would be to not go near him because he's just standing there doing the crane. The reason the guy in the movie couldn't defend him is because he put his face near his foot. Anyway... <laughs> But I digress. I thought it was the. I thought he was just mesmerized by. This. Well, that's the He's thing. But I, I just big, love that. You know, and if all do that. correctly, no can defend. I disagree, Mr. Mugiagi. But it's a movie. I know. It's like and, Tin Cup. Hey, you know. I know. People said you can't. You can't suck back three woods. You know that's funny. You say that. We should have a discussion time sometime about golf movies and uh, who we think pulled off the best swing because the ones that come to mind are <laughs> Tin Cup, uh, Kevin Costner. Right. Uh, Legend of Bagger Vance, uh, Matt Damon. Uh, what else? What other one? Caddyshack, uh, Chevy Chase, maybe. Yep. F- of those three, uh, and I read a little bit about uh, how uh, Kevin Costner was taking lessons from Peter Costas and yeah. Gary McCord. And in different parts of that movie, he actually kind of looks like a golfer. He looks nothing like a professional golfer, but there's a couple of swings in there. It looks okay. But for me, I think Matt Damon actually pulls it off because it's an earlier time. Golf swings were looser. And, Absolutely. And does a pretty good job. You know what's the worst movie, though? The, one of the worst golf movies ever made was, um, oh, it's Ford. Ford. Uh, right. Uh, something in the sun or. Old guys trying to think of old crap. Of yeah, course, old called, white guys with it, no memories. It was Follow the Follow Sun. Follow the Sun. Based on Ben Hogan. Yeah. And, oh. Ford, Ford, Ford. Anyway, uh, it's not Harrison Ford. It's Glenn Ford. No, no, uh, no, it wasn't a Ford Taurus either. Um, but he was just like, 
the whole thing was trying to capture Hogan's, you know, bubble of concentration yeah. that he was in. And just he, the way that he would just get himself in this just like way over the tops, you know, scowl and flinty eyed stare into the sun and all that. It was just so badly done. Okay, I'm going to get the actor's name here before we leave the show. And we're all, um, all going to smack Yeah, it was Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford. Yeah, yeah it was Glenn Ford. Yeah, we'd smack ourselves in the forehead. Um, okay, well, listen, great show. Thanks for the books. Uh, Zen in the Art of Archery and... And uh, PJ Wodehouse. Um, so I played uh, around yesterday. Well, this is July 7th. So on Wednesday, July 6th, I got to play 18 holes with a 2016 PGA oh Tour God. player named Jordan Brunigi. And he... Uh, Speaking of names that are hard yeah, to say. He's a great kid. He just turned pro couple weeks ago but you golf nerds will uh, maybe remember last year in the open championship i still call it the british open because i'm you know old um he finished six in the 145 years they've been playing the golf tournament no amateurs ever finished uh, better than jordan brunicki wow and um not even justin rose remember justin rose? he was second or third or fourth that time yeah. So wait a second. So maybe that's wrong. So other than Justin Rose, Jordan Brunigi. Although wasn't Justin right Rose was Justin Rose an amateur or he was an amateur? He when was he finished. an amateur. He holed out on eighteen. So one of the uh, we digress. But no, that's a good point because I uh, forgot about Justin Rose. Anyway, this kid's the real deal. And I and when I was younger, in my thirties, I hung around a golf course and I saw a lot of PGA Tour players. David Moreland. I played a lot of golf with David and Brendan Little and some Canadian Tour guys. But Weirzy. Mike Weir played a lot, um, but I hadn't seen a 2016 PGA Tour player up close, and it's uh, it's crazy. And this kid, forget about being long. This kid's actually long by tour standards. And oh. Paul Doolin, our friend and uh, contributor on the show, and, and a guy that I've been also working with for quite a while, uh, he's his guy too. All far out. So I uh, just through the uh, you know, circumstances, a uh, friend just said, hey, this guy's looking for someone to play with. You want to play with him? I said, yeah. And it was pretty cool. And when you say crazy, what particular, was it in the driving? Was it the sound? Was it the speed? What was it that, that really impressed you? It was the uh, uniformity of ball flight. Mm. He didn't hit every shot, you know, perfectly either, but his... You know, the, the tour miss is different than our miss. Like, you know, I, I never saw any, you know, three irons that dribble <laughs> that dribbled along. There were, there were mer- worm molesters? <laughs> I never saw any wiped, necked three irons. Um, you know, he had a couple, you know, a couple of shots that were overdone, where, you know, overdrawn, not even hooked, just overdrawn. Right. I saw a couple that were not where he wanted them to be, dropped in ball and would hit it again. But two things that were outstanding for me. I'd never played Glen Abbey from the back tees. Oh, cool. So that was cool for me. Yeah. Other than a couple holes where, you know, we, we sort of cheated and didn't go to the back back because there was basically in the valley and anywhere near the clubhouse, um, anywhere not near the clubhouse, I should say, we played the back. A couple holes near the clubhouse, we sort of yeah. shaded it forward because you really weren't supposed to do that. Right. So that was cool for me. And also, um, you know, being up close and, and, and seeing how easily he swung and how much speed he generated. The biggest difference between a good amateur and him is, you know, on the whenever that tracer, they whatever, well, there's a million names for the tracer now, but uh, 
Tracer works. Yeah, I, you know the coverage you see the the apex. Yeah, he hit it higher than anyone I've ever played with. Wow, like it was insane. Like Jason Day um, apex. He told me. Uh, I said to him, well, like, where do you sort of stack up? Because he's, he's like, he, it's funny, these kids now, he played Oklahoma State. His buddies are Justin Thomas and Patrick Reed and all these guys. That, and I, I asked him about that. I said, does that make you feel good knowing that you played against those guys in college? He goes, absolutely. Whenever they do well, I go, oh, great. I've beat those guys before. So it gives him a certain comfort as he's starting his tour career. But I said, so where do you stack up in terms of distance? He said, well, and I played, he played a tour event a couple of weeks ago and he was in the top three or four. He's got Bubba Watson, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day. You know, I'll get you. Know, you've played Glen Abbey. I'll give you a couple examples that I can remember. One is uh, we were playing the eighth hole, which is a long par four for them. Well, it's not long for them. It's a it's a, from the back tees. I think it's four fifty or four sixty, yep. and that bunker that's usually you know on the right on the right hand yep. side. Where if you're a good amateur, you know it's not really in play, but you've got to hit it good to clear it. He flew it from the back tees. He flew that bunker. He was 40 or 50 yards by it. On my best drive of the day, I hit it 290, and I lasered where he was. He was 65 yards ahead of me. <laughs> okay. So on 17, because I, I think a lot of people could relate to this, because in the last year in the Canadian Open, Jason Day hit it 380-frickin'-3 yeah. on that, like way down past all those bunkers. You know, yeah. It has more bunkers than any hole in the world. Yeah. And he hits it down, and he's left with, I don't know, half lob or something. Yeah. How did your pal do on that one? He was in, uh, well, first of all, when Jason Day hit that shot last year, the fairways were super hard. He was in the conversation. Yeah. Like, he wasn't 385, but he hit, you know, he he had a flip wedge in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfair, it's an unfair question because the no, conditions but changed. The conditions but, were different. But yeah. I'll tell you what was really impressive on 14, which is the hole down in the valley uh, that the public never plays that back tee. Right. And uh, I'm going to tell you, standing on that tee, it's intimidating. Because normally for me, I, I basically just hit it at the bunker with the three wood because I, I don't want to hit it in the bunker. It's one of the best driving holes in PGA Tour. But I'm going to tell you, from that back tee, and we were just a little bit of a hurting wind. I killed my driver and just got it into the, just got it over. <laughs> he hit three wood into the bunker. It's 319 to the bunker from that tee. It was just, you know, like I said, he hit a couple of loose shots, but they weren't loose like the worm burning three irons. They were loose like, like he just on uh, the fifth hole, the par five, he just overdid it a little bit. And it was in the left side of the uh, fairway or left rough versus he hit another shot that he hit just, I don't even know what line he was picking. Yeah, it was yeah, insane. Yeah. Um, but he was a really good kid, and he couldn't, it, well, I, I couldn't have been more excited. I, uh, for someone like me and you and guys listening, it was, um, it's hard to explain. There's no, it's what's great about golf, because at 56, there's no other sport you can imagine where I could be on the same playing field as the person playing it who is the 22-year-old budding superstar. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I would say that's a good uh, place for us to make a plug, actually, for going. So if you want to really learn, you know, w- how PGA Tour players conduct themselves, get yourself down to the Canadian Open. Uh, it's in, um, not this week next, but the week after. Um, I, I don't have the, my calendar. People can fi- figure it yeah, out. Yeah, they can figure that out. But if you've not been to a PGA Tour event, folks, it's just so different than what you watched on TV. And you can experience a lot of what Howard saw. Um, 
There are players who can hit the Jason Day will be there. Uh, just the speed. What always amazes me is the speed of the club head from kind of about uh, um, five o'clock to seven o'clock. It's just unbelievable how fast that club moves from increased fitness. Uh, these are, well, people are much younger than you and I and the technology. It's just well, and crazy. also they, they it's so entertaining. All those things are true. And then add the fact that, you know, these are among the best people on the earth that do this particular activity. If you were a, Absolutely. Um, you know, an astrophysicist and you got to go and see the best astrophysicists people that's why i'm not an astrophysicist because i don't know what the pub the plural is or even yeah but if you got to see someone like do that up close it would be pretty impressive because they're the best in the world at it this kid um i don't know what his career is going to be like but at this moment in time he is in the conversation for uh, one of the people one of the best people that does what he does and 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 it, it, i'll tell you one thing it's fast at the ball but it's really slow away from the ball like he doesn't have a freddie couples uh slowness but he, he, I noticed I felt myself starting to slow my swing down playing with him because he, he built momentum through his golf swing. He didn't swing it fast. But at the ball, it was absurd. Yeah, but this, that's so cool what you're talking about. But away from the ball, it was lazy. Like what about when he was just going through his routine, when he would like be appraising the shot and doing the assessment as, as a good friend, the Zilkinator would say, what was the speed like in terms of how he conducted himself? You know, know he was there, watch it on TV. It's funny, you know, he had his, uh, he had a yardage book. One of his friends uh, who was a tour player had given him and he was uh, making notes. His, his father uh, came along with us as long, along with my buddy from club link, Scott Raycraft. And, um, you know, he would make, he was looking at the notes and I asked him, you know, we were in the car together. I said, you mind me asking like, you know, what is it you're looking to do and what, what assessments are you making? He's just going, you know, he, the, the tour player, I wish I could remember who it was. It was like, it might've been Charlie, Charlie Kaufman or is that a, uh, Charlie Hoffman. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was former, his, it was former his, guy with the, uh, yeah, yeah. It was his, uh, his caddy had given Jordan this yardage book. Wow. And I was looking at, I said, you know, cause I, and, and you know, if you've never seen a tour yardage book, it was cool. You know, they're oh, yeah. very similar to, you know, you've, but I wanted to know what the notes were and, and each day the caddy had put down where they hit it, what they had in, where the pin was on that day. So that when you come back to a tournament, you go, okay, this is where we were last year. This is what we hit in. So he was looking at that and making decisions on what he would hit uh, and where he'd hit it. And I, you know, Scott and I offered, you know, whatever little, you know, player things we could say to him, like, you know, this is a, the kind of hole, you, you know, there's like this. Be below make, the hole. Yeah, or, be below the hole here. Or this is the type of thing. And, but um, he was also very uh, complimentary, nice. uh, very easy to talk to. I, I made, uh, th- I think I made three birdies in the round, but I stuffed one on, uh, on the second hole, which I think they play as the ninth hole. So, because the, the rooting is different. Yeah. That's another thing we were telling him, you know, like the fourth hole uh, at Glen Abbey is the first hole they play. That's right. Dude, I, I won't continue to bore you with where he hit it places, <laughs> but but that one in particular was ridiculous. So the fourth hole, the Abbey for amateurs is was kind of next a, hole. Was the next shot a putt? Almost. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like it's the kind of hole where it dog legs right a little bit. And, you know, for amateurs, you're just trying to hit it out there somewhere and have like 120. Get it over the pond. Yeah, maybe. So we're at the back tee. Literally the next I'm, I'm close to the cart storage. You're in the barn. And he's. He hit it. I don't. He hit one drive, and he was like, wasn't sure what the line to take was. So he he kills it. Then his dad says, well, maybe you should try this line. So he aims way right and drew it in, and 
he, I had like 60 yards, and it was just absurd. <laughs> um, but anyway, my point is, uh, on the second hole, we both hit. I hit a, my best drive of the day, and the and I we were playing the back tees, but we were downwind, and I ripped it. We were, and he hit it three wood, and we were both down the hill past the fairway. Oh yeah. So that was a long drive for me. It was over 300 yards, and he was over 300 with the three wood. <laughs> so we're both hitting shots, and that was the shot where I had the wrong club. I walk over because there's car path only. I walk over and I didn't know how the yards. I've never been there before. <laughs> so I walk over with my pitching wedge and it's the wrong club. Like I had to like, I got in 115 or something. And I just choked down and I hit it to a foot and a half. So weird. And he looks at me. He's like, nice. And I'm like, yeah, it was. And, you know, <laughs> did, did, did you like an approach? Shot. No, I me. Mean, yeah. Well, he's like, he said something. And then I said, well, I just didn't want to tell you I hit the wrong club. He said, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, but he's a good kid, and I'm telling you, you can hear it in my voice. It was thrilling for yeah, me. Yeah, that's fun. Like, it was such a nerdy moment. From the, you know, just because I'm like, this is cool. I'm sitting in a golf cart with a guy that's playing in the British Open next week. Hopefully, yep. he does well. Anyway, so that's that. That's I'm cool. I'm tired. That's cool. Well, you're... Once you sign off here and the music fades I'm on away, vacation. You're on vacay, man. So have a great time. Have a great time with your daughter. <laughs> happy. It's healthy, funny though. It's, you know, build memories for a lifetime and stay away from golf. Well, I am going to golf once in Iceland. My buddy who lives there. Just is, to say you did it? Well, because he's got us around at midnight. Perfect. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Are you playing at midnight? going to play at midnight. going to play nine Ooh, holes, teeing it off at midnight. That's fantastic. But it's funny you said uh, that I'm on vacation um, because, you know, my job is f- sort of like a vacation. And the reason <laughs> I laughed is because there, there was an old pro at the, at the National. I, Joe his name Rice. Is Joe Rice. And I love Joe, and he was a great guy, and, and he was a real character. And I was around there all the time. And I remember once, you know, because I usually got there around, you know, 10, 10, 30, and I'd be there all day practicing and playing. And then one day he saw me earlier, and he said, what are you doing here? It was like 8.30 on a Tuesday. Uh, he says, uh, what are you doing here at 8.30? I said, well, I'm on vacation. And he paused. He goes, how can you tell? <laughs> I always loved that. I'm like, I don't know. Because I got to sleep in, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, the uh, mental performance coach at uh, Club Link Academy. Uh, Glenn Abbey, are uh, you going to be at the Open at all? You going to hang around? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. And, and check out, folks, if you've never listened to the Humble and Fred radio show on Sirius, it's freaking hilarious. You should. And they did a piece on Hooters. Why do they that even have so Hooters fun. anymore? I know you said it's redundant. It is. It's ridiculous. Because yeah, you can see things on. Yeah, on I don't. The I got a computer. You got the interweb. I can. I can look at tits on a computer and order wings if I want. <laughs> um, right. All right, people, have a great uh, couple of weeks, and uh, please uh, subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, Facebook, and like our Facebook page. Yeah. We've made a commitment to start populating it with some golf content. We think you'll get into like. Okay. And we're and we're we're making good on that commitment. Yes, we are. You did great this week. Thank you. Um, all right, people. Go and go check out uh, Jordan Brunigi and see what a uh, looks just like. He's ridiculous too. He's like 6'3", 185. Not like super like ripped or anything, but just got golf muscles, right? Yeah. All the muscles we don't have. Yeah. All check right, out too. PG Woodhouse if you haven't. And uh, Zen in the Art of Archery. All right, folks. Guitar John